I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Dave Demmer, he, him. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Jamie Byrne, she, her. And hi, I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, GP, he, they. And on today's Meet Q, we're going to look at understanding and asserting needs in our relationships, communicating with our partner, and how we address criticism and defensiveness if that's kind of stuck in our relationship dynamic. Oh dear, I'm feeling very defensive. <laughs> hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hey gang, how are we? Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon. What's going on? Oh, you know, it's October. Mm-hmm. I think summer's around the corner. So who's ready for their hot girl summer? I am. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what a hot girl summer is. Hey, educate me. What's a hot girl summer, guys? Well, I think it's like the notion that like we all get like our little like jazz from the sunshine and kind of really embrace our hotness ah. in, the, in the heat, even though I think it's La Nina Are we talking hot year. temperature or are we talking hot as in like... Attractive. Well, we're talking, like, if it's in reference to me, obviously it's both. Obviously. Yeah. 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 You know, I actually wasn't sure what it was either, but I thought I'm not allowed to ask. So thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm happy to own my idiocy when it comes out. No, but maybe I'm just, like, also completely getting wrong what the millennials are talking about because they've, like, aged so far (laughs) that I don't even know if we are... What are we, are we Jenny Wise? Oh, dear. Oh, anyway, yeah. let's, uh, not, let's not dwell on I age. I did say today about letting loose, and I don't think that's something people say anymore. Uh, no. No. That's rad. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Gnarly. Gnarly, <laughs> rad. All right. Oh. Should we make Q? Let's do it. Hi, I'm Q. I'm a gay man in my early 30s. I've recently begun to date someone who is in a polyamorous relationship, making me the secondary partner. This is my first time into polyamory. It's also my partner's first time having a secondary partner. I get along well with my partner's primary partner and feel no jealousy or have any issues with their relationship whatsoever. What I've been struggling with is being made to feel like my time is valid within the relationship. My partner does shift work as he's a doctor and finding time together can be difficult. We've been seeing each other close to six months now and I'd like to idly be seeing him weekly. I'm trying to be respectful of my partner's core relationship, but I'm wary of my own feelings and time as well. Playing second is fine, provided I've been given some time, provided I'm hearing from my partner every day. I want to introduce my partner to my friends and do more couple-like things together, but I really don't know how to navigate all of this. I don't know how to make my wants heard without coming across needy, and each time I've tried, I've sounded super critical of him which just makes him defensive. Okay, thank you, Q. Looks like we're talking about some relationship structure stuff here, guys. Looks like we're talking about uh, some needs in relationships today. Uh, what are our initial thoughts here? Uh, it's a reason not to date doctors. <laughs> <laughs> is that the... medical <laughs> opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, is that, the, is that what you're um, hanging out on us to find? Literally, yeah. Tom's taking notes right now. Yeah. Note to self. <laughs> Don't let anyone... <laughs> Let's maybe start off with, I guess, a bit of a definition of, of what this relationship structure um, looks like. It sounds like an ethical non-monogamous um, uh, approach to a relationship here. So... Um, uh, 
it is what we would call a polyamorous relationship where there is a core relationship between um, Q's partner and Q's primary partner or core Mm. partner. And then Q in this instance is, you know, what we would call a secondary partner. So he kind of exists outside of the core relationship Mm -hmm. um, between Q's partner and Q's partner's core, Q's partner's core partner. Mm. Um, (laughs) You're doing great. (laughs) Linguistically, this is a nightmare for me. It's like a triangle. (laughs) Yes, it is like a triangle. Exactly. But that not all uh, connections of the exactly sides of the triangle are connected. More of a V. I suppose it's like like sometimes I hear the words polycule um, mm-hmm. for someone who's not necessarily like in that central relationship, if there is a central relationship. Um, and like whilst this might be a V-shaped structured relationship in terms of polyamory, there are triangle-based um, uh, polyamorous relationships as well. Mm. And so it can be really kind of variant um, yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of how these are. Postmodern. Mm. Exactly. It's postmodern mm. triangle. And I think what Q's talking about in here is, I guess, how the dynamics between all of the individuals in this V kind of work. Uh, so usually with the primary relationship or the core relationship is prioritized. Mm. Um, so the primary relationship is kind of afforded aspects that the mm. secondary mm. relationship is not. So it might be, mm. you know, the primary relationship, um, you know, maybe they have a family together, maybe they live together and, mm. and the secondary relationship usually doesn't kind of reach those same heights. And that's certainly what Q's experience is mm. um, in here. Uh, and I guess to think about, to provide a little bit of education around, um, I guess, why these relationships might be really positive for a lot of people mm. is particularly from a secondary perspective, they can be really freeing. Right? Yeah. They can meet somebody's needs and, um, you know, that doesn't need to be what would be in a core relationship or a primary relationship. I mean, it allows people maybe a little bit more time. It allows them to be a bit more free. It allows them to explore other uh, other relationships with other people. But it sounds like at the moment it's not meeting Q's needs. Right there, that use of the word needs, Dave. Uh, something that we're not How always... How do you know what to ask for exactly. if you don't know what you need? 100%. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, not all of us are um, that emotionally insightful to be able to mm. say, actually, what I'm really needing here is, like, that intimacy on an emotional level um, to feel like I'm secure. Mm-hmm. And that can be through, like, kind of actual physical presence or it might be co- uh, communication, like you here talks about daily um, touching base. Yeah. Mm. And so that notion of, like, kind of how do I kind of assess those needs that I mm. am kind of yearning for um, and then be able to communicate them to my partner. It's like needs can be pre-verbal, hey. So if we don't have words to express it, it's just this feeling like you're just like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And then you get it, you're like, that, 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 right right there, right there. That felt really good. But then you still might not have those words, which is where a therapist can help. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I kind of like the five love languages here sometimes in a way of actually um, kind of identifying some core ways that people might be expressing their kind of consideration or affection for the other partner yeah, as well. Yeah. And so making us aware of that maybe our needs, we've just got blinkers on a very defined and narrow view of yeah. what, how those needs are going to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And if we broaden like kind of our concept of how they might be trying to be met by mm-hmm. the other partner, it can take some of the resentment out of it as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We could do a whole episode on the love languages. Yeah. I love the love languages. If you're interested, Google them. Five love languages. <laughs> yeah. There's a quiz. Yeah. Yeah. There is a quiz. It's great. <laughs> yeah. What are you? I'm acts of service mm. and is how I express my love and then quality time. Yeah. You did buy us really nice um, muffins, scones, things. Mm. <laughs> yeah, scones and do you know cheeses. What, do you know what yours are? 100%. Uh, <laughs> phys- 
<laughs> Avoidance is that a lovely word? Physical touch for sure. So like uh, my poor partner, I like climb on top of them like a koala. <laughs> I'm just like he's right here. This is my spot. <laughs> Very patient, but um, yeah, definitely physical touch. And I, even like with my friends and stuff, I just like that proximity. Like just kind of mm-hmm. snuggling up to people. Um, and yeah, and probably acts of service. Yeah, quality time. I don't know. I like all the love. <laughs> Give me a gift as well. I'm happy. Um, what about you, Dave? I am quality time and under that words of affirmation. Oh, oh I'm yeah. not words of affirmation. Yeah, <laughs> I used to date someone and they'd say all that and I'm just like, I just, <laughs> how can I, how can I die? <laughs> She's squirming in her chair, the poor thing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's I been listening to a therapist you, who told them to say thank you when they get a compliment. Uh, let, let's bring it back to needs. So um, it's interesting here, isn't it, that, that I think Q is able to maybe articulate some of those needs but has this real aversion to feeling needy and I'm really curious about mm-hmm. where that comes from for Q as well, whether that is actually some sort of mm-hmm. um, comparison that they're making to the core relationship or whether that is coming from some sort of internal struggle with a sense of self-worth or maybe previous relationships yeah. where they've, you know, where they've maybe been anxiously attached. I don't know. I usually think of that lack of um, potentially kind of connecting as always that where's that barrier in vulnerability mm-hmm. um, in that notion of kind of, is this something that they're just not wanting to be needy because in their mind that's actually full vulnerability is expressing kind of the raw assertion of those needs mm-hmm. um, and it's the holding back because in a way like kind of if we're fully vulnerable and saying this is really where I'm at in the back of the I'm Q's mind here, it might be that that's incompatible with the um, relationship they're in as well. Yeah, right. There is this huge stigma around having needs and being seen as too needy. Like we all have needs. Needs are completely appropriate. Needs are completely okay. I can see both of you want to jump in here, so I'm <laughs> going to shut up and hand over. Jamie? Yeah. I The way that I think about it is sometimes when it's, it's not just that those needs aren't getting met and sometimes a partner is really trying to meet those needs and there might be this love language miscommunication. Mm. But also sometimes it can be like you've got a bouncer sitting over, and I don't want to sound wanky here, but like you've got a bouncer sitting over your heart and it's like it's rejecting people trying to Mm. get in. It's like, no, 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 and it keeps pushing it out. So it's not that you're more needy than other people. It's that the need that when people try to meet those needs, they're being rejected. Mm. Maybe again because of patterns or um, experiences that we've had in early childhood. That's my belief. Where a lot of these these um, mm. experiences might come from. And sometimes it's also the emotions that come up with having needs. Like, for example, um, if I need to keep talking right now, then I might feel guilty because I know Tom wants to jump in. <laughs> so like that meta emotion on top right. of Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, well, I can't possibly, you know, um, I can't possibly want to see my partner this week because then I'm going to be annoying and then they're going to feel bad. So then I'm going to feel bad. So, you know, mm. it's like. Like I just purely don't have enough space in my brain for like kind of that level of like running the game. I'm terrible <laughs> at game playing and like I don't actually think we need to be doing it. But uh, the way I kind of think about being needy and in inverted commas is this notion 
that in society we're taught really kind of that we have to be kind of fully um, self-contained little individual um, mm-hmm. selves that can't rely on anyone. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, exactly. We can't be at all um, in need of like support at any one time. And so mm-hmm. often we struggle asking for help. But equally, I think we actually struggle in relationships in the context of actually asserting our own needs um, in terms of those emotional requirements that we have as we're trying to form those kind of really intimate uh, relationships. Okay, gang, let's talk about how we would support Q because I can really hear Q calling for some um, some ideas and some help here. Uh, I know a place that I would be starting, we've kind of already touched on it, is the idea of how do we help Q understand his needs. I think he's got a pretty good conceptualization already from what he's said in uh, in his case. Part of what we do, you know, particularly as psychologists, I would say, is like a bit of reality checking and helping clients to have a bit of a sounding board and hopefully a bit of an unbiased opinion. So I'm not against telling clients, particularly when their needs are completely bloody appropriate. Mm. Um, and I think if you are in a relationship with someone um, that wanting a text message or a touch base daily, you know, hey, how's your day going, babe? I don't think that that's inappropriate. I don't think that that is like well beyond- Weekly, um, surely. What, well, <laughs> well, he wants it daily and I think that's kind of okay. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not above kind of telling a client, like, I actually think that that's completely appropriate. And, and we know that that type of, um, uh, that type of connection helps relationships blossom anyway. Mm. Mm. And I think it's like, it's going to be somewhat relative depending on the relationship anyway. And mm. so I always kind of view my role here as not as the arbiter of what they should be doing. It's very much kind of how do you come to that kind of agreement within the relationship of how those kind of needs get met mm. in the sense of, how do you assert something without it being viewed as needy and so therefore negative, um, but equally like it's respected, but it may not be agreed on. Like Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's about understanding, well, then is this connection and relationship, you know, exactly right for me as it stands. Exactly. If this need is, you know, completely appropriate and my partner isn't able to meet that, uh, like where do, where do we go from there? Mm. Um, simply because you're the secondary partner doesn't mean that you don't, that you have to accept that your needs won't be met. It doesn't mean that you can't put them forward, even if you are in a secondary relationship. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't put yourself first in in that relationship. And on the flip side of that, you know, in a secondary relationship, it might mean that there's a bit more compromise or a bit more kind of leeway with with what what needs you do get met. I think that you guys are talking about practical kind of needs here. Um, sorry, Tom, I'm going to go meta again um, because I'm thinking like what are those needs representing? So, for example, if I've got a, a client who's saying like, you know, um, I need to hear from them every day, then I might be really curious about the why. So I might be trying to really tunnel down. What what does it mean to hear from your mm. partner every day? Like what, what do you feel inside when you're not hearing from them every day? Like what's happening for you? And I'd be wanting to get at the kind of the essence and the core mm-hmm. of what's coming up there. And if they say like, well, I'm just really worried that they no longer love me. Yeah. So it's really what, what you're saying is that you, you're not feeling as connected as you were to your partner. And how can we get that connection? Because mm. sometimes we can perseverate. Um, and sometimes, for what, example, perseverate? perseverate, just like become fixated. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like, I have to get my text every day. And if you've got a partner like me, then I'm just like, I forgot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I still love you. I just got distracted doing a bloody podcast, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, then you know, then I I don't mean it. I don't mean the hurt. But if if it's like okay, but if I call you, 
will you then call me back? I'm like, yeah, cool. It's really handy that you reached out mm-hmm. to me. Then I can then I can come and connect back in with mm-hmm. that. Kind of on the flip side of that, then I would think about you know clients who say actually you know something that is a huge value of mine in my romantic mm-hmm. relationship is the opportunity to share my day and the ins and yeah. outs of what happens, as opposed to <laughs> Jamie's rolling, <around>, Jamie's <laughs> making vomiting <laughs> vomiting actions. Um, you know, if that's a really important value yeah, in the relationship, no. then we want to be able to hold that up sure. and respect that. So you're right. It's it's about what is influencing this client's desire to be, um, uh, this individual's desire to have daily contact. So guys, not only is Q a bit worried about coming across as needy, something that he's noticing as well, like right at the end of the case, he said there uh, that when he's tried to express his needs to his partner, He's felt he's come across as critical and that that has kind of launched his partner into some defensiveness, which I think is um, a really common um, difficulty in communication, not with just within romantic relationships, but within any any relationship really. And I guess if I was to support Q in terms of how we soften that type of stuff, Gottman Relationship Counseling has some really great strategies around criticism and around defensiveness. So criticism really is like a bit of a a verbal attack on someone. So it's about, usually it's targeted towards their personality or their identity rather Mm. than their behavior. So the difference between kind of saying, um, you know, you're so lazy, you never put the toilet seat down, uh, which is kind of attack on someone's personality and it's labeling them as lazy. Have you fallen in, Dave? Uh, I Maybe have bruised and many a coccyx <laughs> or the same one many a times. Um, versus uh, versus just calling out the actual behaviour. So yeah. a really great uh, what Gottman call antidotes to criticism uh, is what we call a gentle startup. So a gentle startup is basically using I statements. It's avoiding you statements. It's talking simply about the behaviour rather than um, some sort of kind of personality or identity aspect. Uh, so, you know, a gentle startup is like, hey, babe, do you mind putting the toilet seat down, please? That would, you know, that would really mean a lot to me. and be really helpful. I can see Jamie staring just, right through I'm me. I'm just looking at a gentle startup. I'm like, is that like something on Silicon Valley? Like, <laughs> I feel like a gentle startup. I was like, thinking more I of like, like that the first setting on a vibrator. Oh. Yeah. Gentle startup. I was startup. just like, mm, okay, <laughs> all right. I see where you're going there, Tom. Yeah. I, I, I hope Gottman's not listening to this episode. <laughs> Hey, um, no, a gentle start. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way to frame it. One, one way that I uh, will often, if I need to have a difficult conversation, is that I'll often talk about things um, with "I feel" mm-hmm. statements. Mm-hmm. Classic set of communication, I, huh? I don't have a um, nice gentle startup um, label for it, but uh, I feel very attacked. <laughs> <laughs> but if I say like, Kelly I feel when you leave the toilet seat up <laughs> that you don't care about my coccyx um, or like, no, I, I feel um, I feel uh, when you leave the toilet seat up that, yeah, you haven't heard me when mm-hmm. I've said that it's important for you mm-hmm. to put mm-hmm. it down. Yeah. Then um, I'm saying about my feelings, because my feelings can't be wrong, yeah? Well, if I'm saying you don't care, you don't care about me because you're leaving the toilet seat, that's, that's again, assumption. that accusatory, yeah, right? Yeah, it's blaming. Yeah. Where it's saying like... My experience when you leave that toilet seat up is that it makes me feel like you yeah, care I, about. I've heard this narrative kind of based approach, which I think is kind of bouncing off what you're both talking about here. Um, so, Ra- so Brené Brown in her Netflix special talk called Courage talks about actually framing it in with the statement of the narrative I'm telling myself is mm. 
mm. um, X, Y, or Z. And so what that is, is this notion that our brains are designed like as a species to hear stories. Yep. Like it's how mm. we kept our history yep. prior to like the written word. Um, and we would storytell. Mm. And it's a huge cultural kind of heritage that's passed down through storage stories. And it provides like emotional and kind of yeah. psychological well-being for us as people. But it's how we also keep our personal history. Exactly. Right? That's what a schema is. It's like yeah. how we've come to understand our world through these personal stories. And so this narrative-based approach of kind of having that assertive communication or asserting our needs is kind of like, this is the narrative I'm telling myself about this behavior you're doing. Mm. And this is um, kind of how it's making me feel mm. because this is where my brain is going. Mm. I want to check in with where, whether we're both like on the same narrative page here. Mm. Mm. And uh, kind of like reality testing, isn't it? Yeah. Really, like what CBT. Like you got like all CBT. the body names, Dave, today. <laughs> <laughs> General startup, reality well, testing. What, yeah, what CBT would yeah. kind of say, reality testing, like yeah. recognizing that actually there is this narrative. Pulling yeah. back a little bit, being a bit meta about it and kind of being, well, this is a narrative. Is yeah. it actually based in what's that, actually going on? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, I'd encourage people to watch the Netflix special because it's a really great one um, if they haven't seen it before. And mm-hmm. Brené kind of gives a, a great analogy or history with one of her with her husband mm-hmm. um, and how it affected her and her husband in terms of, like, kind of bringing them close together in the end. And then that's, I suppose, the trick here is that when we assert needs – we can actually either separate further um, and mm. feel like our needs are kind of there's greater gaps there in terms of like respecting needs and all those kind of things. Or if we assert them and they're respected, they're heard and they're kind of an agreement's made in terms of how we're going to rectify that assertion and kind of meeting them, mm-hmm. then we can come together. Mm. That's a beautiful way to kind of wrap up that kind of narrative criticism stuff. I also want to make a comment on what Q said around his partner then becoming defensive. So we know that criticism leads to defensiveness in partners. If we feel attacked, what are we going to do? We're going to kind of put our shields up Mm. uh, and become defensive. So, you know, we become defensive when we kind of ward off any of this Mm. criticism. Mm. So maybe we attack back, maybe we don't take responsibility Mm. and Mm. kind of the antidote to that is taking responsibility. I always say we need to take responsibility for everything Mm. that is Mm. our responsibility, Mm. nothing more, nothing less. Mm. But that's probably, I would say, you know, having done a fair bit of couples work in my time Mm. as well, that being able to work on criticism, being Mm. able to work on defensiveness as Mm. the main Mm. aspects of of communication within a Mm. romantic relationship can seriously Mm. change Mm. the dynamic. Mm. Um, There are always at least two people involved in the relationship and therefore two people have agency at the same time. And I think sometimes when we have a dynamic of a partner being more passive within the dynamic, there can be this kind of helplessness, right? It's like you just hand over the keys and you go, oh, well, I can't do anything because you're not texting me. Mm, Yeah, and mm. it's like from that helplessness, then it's it's really hard because you've just given your partner a lot of the power here as well, Mm -hmm. which is why I'd really want to focus on those needs, why I'd really want to focus on what's important to you. Something I've seen in my clinical work with um, clients is often... One client will have certain needs and will eventually be able to articulate those to their partner, but there's like this um, this extra step where they want their partner to either instinctively know or instinctively want to do it. So something Ugh. I try to explain to um, clients is that, well, we need to be articulating our needs to our partner mm. because we can't expect them to read our minds. Mm. 
we can ask our partner to do it. We can't ask them to like it. Mm. Mm. On that as well, Dave, I think it's really hard because we might go to all the work of setting that need, right? Saying that need. And then we're just like, oh, we've done that. We've done the hard thing. There's a chance that need can't be met. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. It opens us up to our partner saying, I can't, I can't do that or I don't want to do it. Yeah. There's this idea as well where people will say, well, I don't want to have to tell my partner. They should just instinctively know. Like, well, okay, well, you've kind of got two options here. You can tell your partner what your need is. They can mm. hopefully meet it. Mm. Yeah, sure. It takes a bit of the shine off it. Sure. It's, it's mm. you know, not as good as if they had have instinctively known. Mm. Or the mm. other option is they can just not know and not do it. You know, I, mean, I know which I would choose any yeah. day of the week. Like, you I, know, I, I think I, this expectation of like us being able to read our partner's minds just because we're spending so much yeah. time with them. I think half the time we can't read our own minds. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, this is a really interesting one. One of the qualities that I really value in myself as a clinician is that I feel like I do... Uh, have a really good attunement to my clients that I am able to pick up um, on the things that they're saying and help them draw links. But there have been many occasions and I really, I took a step backwards where I just started to ask the client rather than assuming what was going on. And as soon as I said something like, oh yeah, this kind of clinical and how does that make you feel type question. And in my (laughs) head, I probably had like a ready-made conclusion like, oh, it probably makes them feel X. Yeah, probably makes them feel unloved or something like that. And um, then a client sometimes got back to me with a totally different answer. Mm. And I'm like, huh, wasn't expecting that. (laughs) And I think that's really helped me to more and more check in. Um, And as soon as I'm doing that, then I'm not working off my assumptions that um, I'm not a mind reader. And I think that is really unfair to... um, to expect that of other people because sometimes I wonder whether it is as good, right? Because when we've done the hard things, when we've opened ourselves up and been vulnerable and then have had that need met, mm. that's even more special because in that moment of vulnerability, we've kind of been connected in with and that's pretty amazing feeling. It is. Mm. I think it is like that power of vulnerability is when we feel so exposed and it's because we've like... I. Like we've let our defense mechanisms down. We've allowed our kind of true self to be kind of shining out. Mm. And we're trusting that person to respect that vulnerability. And it's when that trust is kind of confirmed and um, kind of empathy is uh, kind of given that we feel like that we can trust them that little bit more the next time. Mm -hmm. And again, that next time and again, that next time. And that's where that connection really strengthens. And, you know, sometimes it can be unexpected the way that a partner might respond. So it can be like a pleasant surprise. I can be that thought of, oh, this is what exactly what I need. But then sometimes there can be something a little bit different, a little bit spontaneous. And, um, yeah, what's the Rolling Stones? You don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Yeah. And, like, it's just like, damn, <laughs> Mick Jagger <laughs> had something. <laughs> Bring it, bringing it back to Q here, the difficulty in everything we're talking about here when coming from a place of, you know, a lot of secondary partners will describe their experience as, you know, and, and maybe this is based in reality, their experience of their relationship with their partner being lesser than than their partner's relationship with their core partner or primary partner um, and how much extra vulnerability we need to muster um, in order to articulate what our needs mm. in that situation is. Like, I wonder if this might be different for Q 
if he poly. wasn't in a poly relationship. Yeah, yeah. And these special kind of nuances that come along with, you know, a really wonderful relationship structure like this, but these extra considerations that maybe in in general society where, you know, we're taught about, you know, one-on-one monogamous relationships, these types of things just aren't explored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think with poly relationships here, it really does require like all partners to have excellent communication skills. Yeah. yeah. And kind of really have that emotional insight to be able to check in and say, okay, this is a reflection of like where I'm at, or this is where the relationship's at, or this is where like my needs have changed over the time of a relationship even. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the, like along with that monogamy, I suppose um, myth in terms of that's what relationships can be, we also are given the myth that relationships last forever. And Mm -hmm. I think it's such a thing where, like the way I conceptualize relationships is that they can be forever or they could be for a period in my life, mm. regardless of their time length, it doesn't change their significance. Mm. Mm. That's what I talk about with therapy is it's like a small dose. It can be a big yeah. dose. Yeah. yeah. What do they say? People come into your life for a reason or a season or a lifetime or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, gang, let's do final thoughts, Tom. Well, I think I'm a big Brené um, Brown stand. So essentially I'm going to build on vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is one of the most powerful connecting of, uh, emotions that we can have in experience. Um, but it really does require us to be able to tap into our own kind of contentment and peace with the fact that there's risk there. Mm. And that risk is that we might fail in mm. that vulnerability exercise um, mm. or it might be one of the most connecting experiences we can have. Mm. And if we don't put our feet into the game, then we're just going to be watching from the sidelines. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Q, I'm, uh, I just want to tell you that you're allowed to have needs. <laughs> you're allowed to have needs. You're allowed to articulate those needs. And if feelings are coming out right, those those feelings of guilt that you're talking about, that something's just not sitting right for you with that guilt at the moment. So, you know, really, really take the time to figure out what it is you think that's underlying um, those needs for yourself and, you know, be open. Let's see whether we can get those met. That was totally going to be my final thoughts. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to no. think of that. I had, I had another one. So um, I will second what Jamie's just said and maybe just another kind of call out. Something I noticed, some, this may be more for the, any clinicians who might be listening. And I don't know about you, Jamie, but do you ever have kind of clients coming in this type of aspect and you think, you know what, where the work really needs to be done is with the relationship. Like so many individual clients will come mm. and see me mm. and I think, wow, like there's only kind of so much work mm. that we can do one-on-one mm. in therapy when yeah. the difficulty seems to be within the relationship as opposed to, yeah. you know, obviously. We did that in the family dynamics probably exactly, more than exactly. couples. Yeah. 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 That, you know, if there's any clinicians listening that like to really kind of consider that, I mean, probably the main referral that I make in work is for my individual clients to seek relationship counselling when the yeah. presenting difficulty is, is within the relationship dynamic and how they're interacting. Because sure, we can work on the individual's communication skills and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's like we need the other person in the, in the room. What's because- that saying? It's a hideous saying, but that shoveling shit while it's still snowing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've not heard that before. Really? You no. come up with some like left of field <laughs> sayings. Like <laughs> I, I feel like, okay. No, this is not left of field, right? Like, but it's it's the same thought that when you are in a stop looking at me like that, Tom. Why are you <laughs> shoveling shit in the snow? <laughs> it's just a, but like that you're trying to get rid of the snow. 
Oh, yeah. maybe it's shoveling snow. snow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She makes a You're trying to get rid of the snow, but it's still snowing. You're not making any progress. Yeah. 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 So that can be the uh, issue in like families, for example, but yeah. also in relationships. If those if those kind of um, injuries keep occurring within the dynamics. Sorry, yeah. I've just stolen your final thought. Yeah, again. you have again. I'm just sitting here. Going, <laughs> right. You just, said it just beautifully. <laughs> That's right. Well, I obviously have nothing else to say. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and I are going to go and seek some uh, counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Our relationship. I thought we assert some needs here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, wonderful as always, gang. Q, I yeah. hope that's been helpful and we look forward sure. to seeing you all next time. Bye bye. Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBTQIAP community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources.